All right. Well, good morning again. Uh, I want to uh, throw a number up on the screen. This is something new that we've started doing. I like it. Uh, I hope that you do, and hopefully more of you will uh, take advantage of it. Uh, in first service, we had quite a few questions, and I will revisit those with you uh, in this service. Uh, but the number is 210-646-4457. Uh, you can take a picture of that just so you have it in your phone. But uh, if, if throughout today's message you have any questions uh, in regard to something I say or um, uh, just questions in general about the message, you can text those to us. Uh, I have my phone and I will get those uh, text messages and I will try to address them uh, as I see them come in, what happened last service was uh, we had quite a few come in, and so after the uh, the last song, I came back up and addressed those questions. Uh, so don't leave uh, at the end of, of the last song. Like, stick around, and we'll get the questions answered, all right? Good. Well, um, we're in a series called Who We Are. We uh, I've been uh, making the statement that this year will be the best year of your life if this is the best year of your life spiritually, that if you press in and, uh, and be intentional about your spiritual life this year, it will be the best year of your life. I, I can promise you that. Uh, as we have been in this series, a few weeks ago we talked about worship, that when we talk about who we are, we want to be a people uh, who are worshipers. Uh, the, that the importance of connecting to our God, you guys sounded good today, by the way, and the second service did, I could hear you, well done, um, but that we are worshipers that go beyond just the singing, but it's a heart uh, attribute of us surrendering our heart to our King, and, uh, and I just want to encourage you in that, that that's really, really an important part of pressing in to our spiritual life. Uh, last week, we talked about living our life on mission, that uh, for uh, most of you, the church is just one part of your life circle, uh, that you have work and your kid's school or, or your school, you have uh, your communities, your neighborhood, uh, you have the places that you visit uh, regularly for restaurants and hobbies and all of these different parts of your life circle. And I've said this before, but I I just think it's important for me to continually admit this to myself that your life circle uh, is not my life circle, right? My life circle, church is a big part of my life circle. It's my work, it's my church community, it sometimes feels like my home because I'm here all the time. So it's, it's a part of that and our kids are homeschooled and so they, we don't really have a connection into the schools and and so I have to remind myself that your life circle is different than my life circle, and that's okay. And I, have to, I can't expect that the majority of your life is, revolves around church, but that you have these other elements where you're touching and connecting with people in areas that I'll never be able to connect. And our job then is to equip you to go into those places and to be Jesus in, in your life circle. So this week, I want us to uh, talk about what does it mean to live in authentic community? What does that really look like? 15 years ago on Super Bowl Sunday, I stood 
right here, same stage, probably due for a new stage, but the same stage, 15 years on Super Bowl Sunday. And I preached a message. I was a guest speaker in the church. Uh, they had invited me to come down, uh, and by me, I mean, that's a we, me, uh, Kelly and I, and we came down to check out this church that was, at the time was called the Church at Stone Oak, and, and so uh, they were evaluating whether or not we would be potentially the new pastors of this church, and, and so I had to give the message on Super Bowl Sunday, which, by the way, uh, is one of the lesser attended Sundays out of the year. Um, and uh, does anybody even care about the Super Bowl this year? Not really, right? I mean, we, it's kind of like we don't really care who wins. Neither of them probably should have been there. One of them bought their way in, and um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And but there is there is something nice about it, isn't it? Like you know, as you see these two teams that haven't been to the Super Bowl in decades, it's like. It gives you a little bit of hope if you're a Cowboys fan that maybe one day, <laughs> one day your team could be there, but if you just have enough money. <laughs> so I'm giving this message, and, it's, and I, I thought, you know, no pressure uh, because, uh, and, and really, honestly, I didn't feel a lot of pressure because I wasn't sure that we were even, we were in the process of planting a church, and, and so I was just coming and, and presenting a message, but uh, my message, I remember it to this day, was I had a, a section of, the, of a fence, like a vinyl fence there. I had a video clip of NFL football players because Super Bowl Sunday. So these NFL football players, it's a funny clip. I should show it again sometime. Uh, but these football players are at a training facility, and they're running along this path, this, this creek bed in Florida, and they have to go all the way out and touch the white fence, and they have to come back. And, and along the way, they're telling them, hey, you need to watch out for snakes. You need to watch out for alligators. And you've got to also watch out for these wild pigs and, and all these things. And these big NFL linemen are just, like, kind of getting nervous. But they're like big linemen, and they go out, and they're on their way. And, and uh, one of the staff members was out in the trees and, uh, and rustles the, 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 the trees a little bit. And those guys screamed like little girls and ran all the way back to the facility, never touched the fence. It's, it's a funny video clip. But the whole point of the message was that there are things that God places in our life and there are times where he has a plan for our life and we're, we're headed towards that, that plan down that path. And then there, we have an enemy who's out there really kind of trying to distract us and, and create fear and, and keep us from accomplishing the things that God has for us. It was a fantastic message, if I do say so myself. I thought it was really, really good. We laughed. We cried. It was the best of times. Uh, they did ask us to, to come and serve as the pastors of this church, obviously. I'm still here. And, and I, as we got here, if I'm being honest, I, I felt like um, this was my opportunity as a young leader. I was 30 years old when we arrived here in 2007. We, we made the decision in February. We arrived in April. And... Um, I was going to be Joshua to their Moses. 
You know, I was going to be the one that was going to come in and inject new life and hope into this church that the previous pastor had uh, moved back. Uh, our founding pastor, Dan Hicks, had moved back to L.A. And, uh, and so, you know, in my mind, he's Moses. He's like old enough to be my dad. And, and I'm Joshua. And, and clearly these people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And so it's time to take them into the promised land. And and in the first eight months, I realized that I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I, I was 30, so you, you really, there was nothing you were going to tell me that I didn't know already because I was 30. Clearly, I had lived a life that knew everything. And, and so I came in really with some arrogance and expectation that everybody was just going to um, follow me. And, uh, and in reality, what happened was it was a lot of heartache, a lot of pain. And my, uh, one of my mentors, who uh, happens to be uh, my uncle, he's been a pastor for years, and he said, Ryan, don't be so naive to think that God didn't send you to San Antonio not to, to fix the church, but to fix you. And so I'm like, Thanks. Because I was 30. Nobody wants to hear that when you're 30. And he was right. There was a lot about my life, a lot about my attitude and the way that I approached this that um, I thought that I was going to be the one that was going to change this. And when I realized that it, it, it wasn't going to be me, right, that, that this wasn't my church, that it was God's church, was the moment in which I needed Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 to ring true in my life in the life of this church and it says in Matthew 16 18 I will build my church and the gates of Hades the gates of hell will not overcome it for me this is this was something that I I knew I needed to be true right I, I know that that's the promise I know I, I believe that that was true um, but there was still a little bit of, of me in my life that thought, yeah, that's true, but God's probably going to need my help, right? That's true, but, but there's probably some things he doesn't understand about this church and about this community and, and that I'm probably going to have to be the one to pick up the slack for God. And, and you're kind of laughing because it is laughable, but it's also true. There's something of, of, of a releasing and saying, no, God, this actually is your church. And you're going to have to grow it, not me. I recently um, started serving as a regional pastor to kind of the, uh, the restructuring of our denomination right now is that uh, you know, our district is this massive district, and they've asked, they've asked me to be a regional pastor, and my region is the state of Texas. The people making these decisions don't fully understand the definition of region. <laughs> they don't understand that, that, that my region is a country, <laughs> and, and it's 57 churches that span all across, that are scattered all across the the state of Texas, except for El Paso, New Mexico got El Paso. I'm not saying anything about El Paso, bad or anything, but that's okay that they got. Uh, it's a long ways over there, a long ways over there. So 
my job uh, in this role is, uh, is to encourage pastors to go and listen to pastors. Uh, I'm in the process of kind of this regional, uh, these regional tours. And so this last week I was up in Dallas and meeting with pastors. And, and you would think, well, it's Dallas, so there's probably a bunch of churches there. There's like, uh, I think, 12 different churches that uh, are spread out as, as far south as Hillsboro, Texas, as far east as Canton, Texas, and as far west as Weatherford, Texas. You guys know where all those are, right? I do now. And, uh, and I drove to all of these different places, had dinner with some of the pastors, and my job is just to listen to them and encourage them and tell them to keep going because 2020 has been tough. One of the things that, that I've learned uh, about pastors, and, and it's funny when, you're, when you hear it from someone else, you start to reflect and realize that maybe you're the same way. And that, and that is, is that pastors are notorious, and I, I think this is probably true in many of us, we're notorious for presenting something better than it really is. That, that will, people will say, well, how are you doing? Oh, it's great. Everything's fine. Our church is growing. Building's paid for. Like, everything's fantastic. And we're good about that. And I think part of it is we believe that if we say it enough, it might actually happen. We come across as though everything's fine and everything's okay. And in talking with some of our pastors, I'm having to kind of cut through some of that stuff because I know exactly where they're coming from. I know exactly how they're feeling. And I know that it's not completely always true. But they don't really know how to have community in their life and people in their life that they can be vulnerable with, they, they haven't discovered that the importance of being vulnerable with people and being able to say, it's just not okay. This, this morning, I was having a conversation with someone before service, and they said, hey, how are you doing? And I said, today's just an okay day, if I'm being honest. I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but, but I think it's easy for us to just say, yeah, everything's great, yeah, I'm doing great, but I'm not. I'm not doing great. Speaking from a, a pastor's perspective, we often, as we present the best of the things in our lives, rarely do we talk about the challenges that we're facing, the areas of weaknesses that we have. And if we keep saying it over and over again, we think that it's going to happen. And I here, here's where I'm kind of being vulnerable with you this morning, is I think that that's not just exclusive to the pastoral role. I think you probably experience some of that too. That it's just easier to say everything's fine, to put on a facade, and to go through life never really being vulnerable enough to be able to say, actually, today's really not great. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It starts in verse 8. It says, There was a man all alone. <laughs> Semicolon. There was a man all alone. I don't know if you know this, but since COVID in 2020, we think that because of the pandemic and all of that, that that's one of the greatest health crises that we currently have. But actually, the biggest, the number one health crisis in the world right now is loneliness, depression, and anxiety. We have a people who are hurting. 
And the leading cause to those three things are, guess what? Isolation. Isolation. I mean, obviously, in loneliness, isolation would make sense. But certainly in anxiety and in depression, isolation, isolating yourself from community and from people in your life causes this. It goes on to say, he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. In other words, he was soul sick. In other words, we as a people, as humanity right now, we are soul sick. In 2020, one in four under the age of 20, 2020, 20, uh, those who are under the age of 20, one in four considered suicide. Over 20, one in 10, which is still a staggering number. If you think about 10% of humanity contemplating suicide because of the circumstances that they found themselves in. It goes on and says, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He said, for who am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. I heard a story this last week from one of our pastors up in Dallas. He's actually our, our area guy in Dallas. And I had picked him up because we were going to do a, a, a site visit at a church. And uh, he had just had a rough night. I, I, I think it's okay that I share this. Um, he had gotten a call at 1130. And uh, his dad had, uh, had fallen. And it's kind of, there's like a series of things leading up to that that were kind of miraculous, but his dad's a, a pretty big man, and, uh, and my friend is a big guy too, but uh, he had fallen, he had kind of fallen or laid down in the bathroom, but in order to get around, he has to have a walker. Well, <laughs> kind of some of the miraculous things that took place was first, he was in the bathroom, but his walker was in the living room. And he had called his son to tell him I had fallen and he needed help, but his cell phone was also in the living room. And he was like, Dad, how did you call me? And he was kind of disoriented. And he was like, I don't think I did. And he's like, no, I have the, the, the right here, like caller ID. I have it. You called me. I talked to you. You said you've fallen. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I did that. And he's like, well, how is that possible? So maybe, maybe. The miraculous. In, in the case of now he's got to get his dad up, he, he can't. He just physically can't by himself. And so he has to call the fire department. The fire department comes out and, uh, and these men help him and get him up and situated into his wheelchair. And, and when I was reading that scripture this morning, it reminded me of this story because it, what a perfect picture of the fact that if you don't have anybody in your life, who do you call when you fall? Who do you call? But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. I don't even think you need an explanation of that. But how can one keep warm alone? You can't. The one may be overpowered, and I'll just say one is overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not, equally broke, is not quickly broken. 
See, one area of our life that if we are going to go into this year and intentionally seek out and, and let this be the best year of our life spiritually, for some of us, community, relationships, connectivity is going to be an important part of that. I'm going to give you four examples. I've used these before, and I've actually I used these not that long ago. Um, but since all the statistics say that you don't really retain a lot of the information you get on Sunday morning, I don't think you'll remember them. Um, so we'll just give it another shot here. It's a great reminder for us as we identify kind of who we are as a church, who, who we are as Christ followers. Romans 12.5 says, Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. There's the Cartesian quadrant graph. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but uh, essentially it's, you know, it's the, the two lines. You've got the four areas of the graph. And, and what I'm about to share with you are there's these uh, kinds of relationships that each of us have, and we really have all four of them. Some of them are more valuable and more important than others, but we still have these relationships. And I think it's important for us to identify the different kinds of relationships that we have so that as we go into this year intentionally, we can begin looking for the kinds of relationships that we're going to need in order for us to grow into the things that God's called us to. The first one is, and you've, if you've been around for very long, you've heard this, is the arena. These are people in your everyday life. These are people that you run into at work, your coworkers. These are uh, your kids' teachers, your people in, your, in just your life circle that you come into contact with on a, on a weekly basis and a daily basis. These are people that you know them, you know their name. You might even know a little bit about the fact that they have a family, a wife, and kids, or whatever. You might know where they go to church or, or what, they, what they like to do. But the depth of the relationship is pretty limited to that. And I would say most of us have a lot of those kinds of friends, right? And I'm not even talking social media friends. I'm just talking like the people in our life that we know a little bit about, um, but that's the depth of it. And these are the, the, the people that, if I could boil it down to this, it's I know and you know. So I know something about you or I kind of know who you are and you know me, I know and you know. Even in this environment as, uh, as a teacher or as a pastor in a church, it's this, this would be an arena format. Not that this is an arena, but it is an arena format in the sense that you actually, uh, for most of you, probably know more about me than I even know about you. I know, for the most part, kind of who you are, your names, where you might work, and your kids, but but by and large, I don't know a lot of in-depth things about you. You might know a little bit more about me because maybe I share a little bit more or I tell you about what's going on in my life. And so there's, there's this arena relationship that we have. And probably the majority of people in this room that you see on a Sunday morning, unless there's something deeper outside of the Sunday morning, you have an arena relationship with them. Matthew 23, 5 talks about this because 
this is, in this kind of relationship or friendship, I don't, I'm not even sure I would call it a, a relationship, but in this kind of acquaintance, you're giving the best of who you are. You're presenting the very best. You're presenting uh, all of the good things about your life in your contact with people. And Scripture talks about this. It says he's talking to uh, the religious leaders of the time. He says everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. These were religious symbols that they would utilize, that they wanted everybody to see how religious they were, how important they were, how good they were as people. They made it a note to say this is, this is how great everything is. But, but then in verse 27, he goes, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And maybe if you're, you're like me at times in different seasons of our life, you've felt this way. You have felt like this. You are like a whitewashed tomb, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. I use, I've used this example with this scripture before. I am notorious for leaving coffee cups around the church. And uh, the people who clean our church, which is my wife and Kim, uh, most of the time, usually find them. And by the time they find them, I leave just enough coffee in the bottom of it for it to mold over and be disgusting. But on the outside, it looks fine, right? On the outside, you know, they walk up to it, and and then it's like it hits them, and they're like, that's disgusting. And you would think I would stop after all these years, but I don't. It's a sickness, I think. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like like you're presenting something of a front and yet inside you're just broken and you're hurting and you don't know how to present that to anyone? See, if the culture of our church is going to have relationships and be in relationships it's, it's not going to be in the arena format. It's going to be in other environments in which we get to have a relationship with someone where we get to be vulnerable. The second area of friendship, acquaintance, relationship is the mask. The mask says, I know, but you don't know. And I would explain it like this, that uh, most people think that uh, as a pastor, uh, as someone who teaches on Sunday morning, that I'm a pretty vulnerable person, that I'm authentic and, and transparent about my weaknesses. And that's exactly how I like it. The, the truth is, is that I give you enough of my weaknesses and vulnerabilities for you to think that about me but chances are there's another layer that you don't know about. I'm not talking like some sin issue or something along those lines. I'm just saying that there are things in my life that I'm not opening up to the masses about. But there are things, situations and circumstances in my life that, that, that I'm just not going to, to present in a platform environment. And you can be sitting there thinking, well, I don't, I don't think that's okay. 
Like, shouldn't he be honest with us? Shouldn't he, you know, kind of tell us everything about what's going on in his life? And I would just say, I'll do it as soon as you do. (laughs) As soon as you want to come up and tell all your life stuff, I'll do it with you. There is levels of vulnerability that we have in our life. Now, here's the thing, is if I don't tell anybody what's behind that door, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes unhealthy. If I don't ever share what's going on behind the door that maybe all of you don't get to ever get behind, then I'm in trouble. Because now anything, I will become as sick as my secrets. I will, I will find myself with these secrets and these things that, that ultimately end up destroying me. See, we have areas in our lives that we need people to know about. We may not need everyone to know about them, but we need someone to know about them. And there are days that we just need someone to talk to. We need someone in our life that knows us well enough to know when things aren't great. This happened to me this last week, and you wouldn't know this unless I told you, which I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm letting you a little bit further uh, past the door. Uh, But the truth is, is that as someone asked me this morning, how are you doing? I said, not great. It's true. I'm not. Kind of struggling through some things, dealing with some some dynamics and emotional things, and and I'm struggling. It's not a sin issue. Everybody relax, take a deep breath. I don't. I'm I'm not like morally compromised or ethically compromised or anything along those lines. I'm just I'm personally dealing with um, with some dynamics that have caused a lot of emotion and and things in my life recently, and. And I think that it's, it's okay to say that. <laughs> but you're not the first person to hear it. Like, if you were the first to hear that, that, that probably would be a problem because it would have gotten so bad that I didn't feel like I, I could do anything other than to tell you about it. The truth is, is that there are other people in my life who already know about that. And that's really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about having people in your life. This last week, I had someone ask me, you know, how are you doing? Because clearly there was something about me that was different, and they recognized that that was different, that they were close enough. And, and, and when they asked me that question, it was almost like a, a, a switch was flipped, and I just started crying. Like, I just am crying all the time right now. I'm a mess. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? Like, she's not that way. But sometimes she looks at me and, and I'm like, I'm sorry, this is coming out. Um, they knew. And, and obviously they knew when, when I started crying how I was doing. And so they, they were just like, well, let's pray for you. I don't need to know all the details. Let's just pray for you. Uh, I was able to share with them some of the details, but not all of the details. And um, and just to have someone in your life who's going to pray with you. Uh, later on that week, someone else also recognized. Clearly, I'm putting, putting out some sort of vibe or situation that is different than normal because somebody else asked me the same question. Or it's the Holy Spirit prompting people in my life to say, how are you doing? How can I come alongside you, serve you? What can I do to alleviate some of the burden that you're going through? 
So if you think of it, you can be praying for me as I navigate this, but I just told you where I'm at right now. But again, you're not the only ones and the first ones to know about it. And I don't think that you should let those kinds of things linger for very long. Because it will begin to eat at you. It, it will begin to, to, to just crumble you. No one wants to go around airing all of their struggles. No one wants to, to be a crybaby that, you know, every time somebody asks how you're doing, you just start breaking down in tears, which has been me the last you know, few weeks. But everybody needs somebody to say, how are you doing? What, what can I be praying for you about? 2 Corinthians 4.2 in the message paraphrase, this is a paraphrase, says, we refuse, and I like how it says that we refuse to wear masks and play games. If you were to ask who we are as a church, we refuse to wear masks and play games. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. C.S. Lewis, I like his description of friendship. He says, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to the other person, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Because chances are you're not the only one that's going through what it is that you're dealing with. John 3.16, one of the most uh, famous scriptures of all scripture, thanks to people behind uh, the backstop of baseball games. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Do they do that anymore? No? Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We like that scripture. We, yes, thank you for that. We believe that. We quote that. We agree with that. Sometimes we stop with that. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If we get that far, we're like, good. I don't want to be condemned. Thank you for that. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now we're talking about condemnation already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And then it goes even deeper. And it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it might be seen plainly what they have done or what they have done has been done in the sight of God. There's something about bringing out to light the things in our life and the struggles of our life. It's not always a sin issues. Sometimes it is. But I can just tell you that nothing good happens in darkness. That's where cockroaches live. In the darkness. You flip the light on, what happens? They scatter. I was in a church building uh, on Thursday. And it was, it was, they had put some, some money into it and they had put their own sweat equity into it. But when they got this church building, and I use that term very loosely, 
They said, while my, she, the, the pastor's wife told me that while her husband was preaching, there was, uh, there was a cross there, and then there was some curtains there. And you could see the cockroaches running across the curtains while he was speaking. They, they removed the carpet, and, the, and they had some steps in the front, and there was just mouse droppings, mice droppings everywhere. That's what happens in the dark. That's what happens when you cover things up. That's what happens when you don't allow light to be in the midst of darkness. It becomes disgusting and uninhabitable. So what do we do? James 5.16 says, well, you confess your sins to each other. Oh, good. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I want to make the distinction here. It says we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we can be healed. It doesn't say we confess our sins to each other so that we can be forgiven. You don't forgive other people. I don't forgive you. I'm not a priest, and I don't even believe in that. I don't believe that if you've got something going on in your life, you have to confess your sin to me so that I can forgive you. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God. You get to go into the Holy of Holies. You get to confess your sin to him. And Scripture tells us, and the promise of God is, that you are forgiven. You were forgiven. But what we do in confession with one another is we recognize that when we confess to one another and, they, and we have prayer covering over us, that's where healing begins to take place. That it's not for the forgiveness of our sin, but it's to bring to light what's been in the darkness and to say, I need somebody to walk with me through this. I'm struggling. Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, And a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. How many of you would like an Epaphras in your life? I don't like his name at all, but I would like an Epaphras in my life. I'd like him to change his name, but then I would like him to do what he does, and that is that he... As a servant of Jesus, and he, he, he always is wrestling in prayer for you. That's what we want. We want friends and relationships and community with people and have the kind of connection with someone that you know they're praying for you. And if you don't have that, can I just encourage you this morning, you need that in your life. And this is the one time where I say you need it because I have it. And I know how helpful It is. Blind spots, number three. Oh, man, this one's tough. Blind spots are having people in your life that I don't know, but you know. Which is one of the hardest places to be in in a relationship. Blind spots are those areas of our life that I I think is probably the most difficult Because rarely do you have the kind of friends and kind of relationships that you allow people to address the blind spots in your life. And these relationships, the reason why most of us don't have these kinds of relationships is because they take time to cultivate. 
They take trust. You actually have to trust that the person who is showing you your blind spot isn't condemning you or correcting you, but actually has your best interest in mind. And that's rare. It's rare. Most people don't have these kinds of relationships. And first service, I ran out of time. Second service, I don't have to worry about time. So I'm going to go there. Um, I was in some meetings uh, at the end of January, and at these meetings, they were talking about the role of pastor and leader and those who are in authority over people, and they were really addressing the correlation of, of the role of leadership and pastor and influence uh, with the dangers of narcissism, and that Oftentimes what happens is when you are in a place of authority and uh, in a place of influence, it can often breed that in people. Uh, after I started looking into this a little bit more, I, I realized, I, I came home from my meetings, they were out in LA, and I came home from my meetings to my wife and I said, I think I might be a narcissist. <laughs> and she said, I don't think narcissists say they think they're narcissists. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's good. I think she's right in that, but I also recognize that certainly when I showed up here in 2007, thinking that I was going to be Joshua to this church's Moses, I think that there was some narcissistic behaviors in my life. There was ways in which I approached people, talked to people, handled certain situations that were certainly narcissistic. Nothing will humble someone more than having 80% of the people that you inherited leave your church in the first eight months. <laughs> and... And it's almost like God knew, like, yeah, you got a lot to learn. I'm still learning. And I'm still recognizing that if, if I'm not careful, narcissism, narcissism, being narcissistic, could creep back in. And it's probably why my uncle told me, he's like, don't be so naive to think that God didn't send you to change the church, but to change you. There's things in your life, there's blind spots that you have, there are areas of your life that you don't even see, but God wants to deal with. And he uses people to do that at times. People that you love, people that you trust. But part of the reason we don't allow those people in our lives is because we don't have the ability to humble ourselves and trust people enough to speak to those areas Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy, those are deceitful. You always be mindful of the fact that are always, I don't like the term blowing smoke up your skirt, but I don't, I don't, know, I don't even know where that came from. It's probably not appropriate. But, <laughs> but those people who are just always affirming, always saying how great you are, how great you are, how great you are, those are the ones that I would be leery of. But the ones who are willing to risk Hurt, willing to risk the pain, to be able to say, I don't think you see this. I, th I think this is an area that maybe is causing you pain and, and struggle in your life. Hebrews 3.12 says, 
See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, I think that people don't allow those kinds of relationships in their life because, one, they don't trust people. And I recognize that's a hard one. But two, they actually don't believe that they have any issues. Number four, potential. This is I don't know and you don't know, which means the only one that knows is God. But we still have potential. This is the part that God knows. This is the part of your life that you haven't even realized yet. You have yet to experience the best version of yourself. God has so much more than you could ever dream or imagine. But the reality is, is you don't know what that is yet. And you probably don't even have people in your life, really, that could answer that for you. But this is what I do know, is the way that we discover that, the, the way that we discover the life that God has for us is together. When we're in community with people. When Kelly and I moved here 15 years ago, uh, we, we didn't do it, we didn't have to do it alone. I have a good friend, uh, Joe Donaldson, Joe and Sarah Donaldson. They got dropped in Odessa, Texas, knew nobody. They moved from Palm Springs to Odessa. I don't know if you've ever been to Odessa or Palm Springs, but they're a little different. Both hot and cold, but very different. Dropped into Odessa, Texas, doesn't have any relationship, doesn't have anybody in their life, and so... As much as I can be, I'm trying to be that person in his life and not doing a great job at it, probably. But when we moved here in 2007, uh, Paul and Alicia moved here with us. They made the decision as a family, even though I couldn't pay them a job, couldn't do anything. They, they came here because Paul said, I think you're going to need a friend. And he was right. I, I, I needed someone to, to tell me to keep going and to keep doing this and there were times where I did not want to keep doing this, but he did it. You need people in your life to help you discover the potential that God has. I, I would not ever have, not that I've arrived in any sort of way, but I would not have even come to this place without people in my life. We are a part of the body. You are a part of the body. But hear me when I say this, you, you are not just a body part. You're not. You are connected to the body. What I see most often is that we try to live our life disconnected from the body. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're disconnected from the body, you die. If I plant a tree, and it's a young tree, and I put it in the ground and I water it, and I take care of it, and everything. But then as the tree begins to grow, I cut a limb off of the tree and put it on the ground next to the tree, and then come back 20 years later. The tree continues to grow. It's now providing shade. It's, it's this massive tree. The limb, not so much. The limb is decomposed by now and has just gone back into the ground, and it's because it's not connected to the life source. 
the way in which we discover what God's doing in our life and, and the trajectory that we're on is when we are connected to the body, not living in isolation by ourselves. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And we don't like this phrase because we're like, iron sharpening iron seems painful. And it is. And sometimes we run from that pain, but what we should be doing is pressing into the sparks because it's in the midst of the sparks that we grow. Colossians 2.19 says, The whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, I don't even know what a sinew is, but somebody probably does, grows as God causes it to grow. Man, can I just encourage you this morning to get in community and you're like, I don't understand you. Last week you just said we're not doing life groups and now this week you're saying I need to be in community. I'm like, yeah. Part of the reason we're not in community is because we've programmed life groups so well that you don't even have to work at it. You just show up, just do it. You need community in your life and you need something even deeper probably than just a, a Bible study. And a Bible study is great. It's a start. But let's not limit our community just to a life group. Let's go deeper in relationships with people than maybe we've ever done before. People who are going the same direction as you. In first service, I had someone ask the question, if I can find it here, um, Let's see. The question was, as uh, Lifehouse Church in San Antonio, to some extent, we are newcomers. We are feeling a bit anxious about even being able to start building a life circle without church small groups to start getting to know people here. Do you mind sharing some advice or options, resources to build community with folks within the church? I got another question uh, from someone online. It says, since life groups are going away, is there a different way to connect to people in the church? And I would just answer those questions uh, in regard to this as uh, in twofold. One is we are working, uh, actively working right now to be more intentional about our dream teams. That you're not just coming to serve on a dream team, but you're coming to connect with people on your dream team. And that if you want to connect with other people in the life of our church, get on a dream team. Another way in which you can do that is to sign up and be a part of a class. Uh, starting this Wednesday, our classes are launching. We have EHS. We have, uh, we have our Holy Spirit class, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, a class on freedom that Andrea Freeman, our online host, uh, is leading. Uh, I'm planning to be at the EHS. There's a couple council members that are going to be there, and I'm going to miss this first Wednesday, but, but make the rest of them. And, and so it, we break off into tables. We get to know people at a level that's, that's deeper than the arena, deeper than just the best version of ourselves. We actually get to be honest and share with what's really going on in our life and pray for one another and care for one another. If you want to get connected to people beyond just the Sunday morning uh, environment, arena environment, get on a team. Sign up for a class. 
connect with people in your community. And listen, I don't, your community doesn't even have to be in the church as long as you have people who you love, who love you, who you can be honest with and vulnerable with, that you're doing life together. The end goal of this isn't to have some huge life group uh, curriculum or program. It's getting people steered into the direction that I know God wants them to be in, and that's in doing life together. We've become the loneliest society in human history right now. Humans have succeeded in the past because they have bound together. They, they have banded together, bound. They have banded together. We used to function in a more tribal environment, a more uh, familial environment, and since Western civilization, we have started to isolate and we have become the first people in human history to disband from our tribes. We say things like, well, you just do you. You just go and do your thing. It's become such a problem that medications can only do so much to deal with the anxiety and the loneliness and the depression Psychologists are now prescribing uh, what they call social prescribing, which is really what the church, I think, should be doing. Not I think, I know. It's what God has been telling us from the beginning. We need people in our lives. We don't get to do this on our own. There is no Lone Ranger, and even the Lone Ranger wasn't alone. We have to own that for our life. We can't expect that the church is going to, to facilitate my relationships. And I don't think you really want us to. If you're looking for people to build a relationship with, get involved in a class. You'll be equipped for your life circle, but you'll also connect with other people. I heard at the same meetings I was at, they were using the language of we or they. <laughs> and it was in reference to the fact that oftentimes we, uh, we say, uh, I wish they would do this. I wish the church would do this. I wish the church would provide this program or facilitate this environment. I wish they would do that. And the response to that is we are they. We are they. It's not some nebulous they, we, it's me, it's you, it's us, it's it be, be we. Be we, be us, be a part of what it is that, that we're trying to do in equipping you and connecting you to real love and real life to make a difference and live your life on mission in your life circle. Be us, be we. Because we are they. My hope for you is that you feel no condemnation from this, but encouragement and a sense of urgency to find people to be in your life. Because if you go through seasons where you're struggling, you need people. Some of those pastors needed me to encourage them this week. And some of those pastors that I met with needed to encourage me. Another question that came up, and then we'll jump into the message. Uh, speaking, just kidding, it was a joke. Speaking of community, what time is Thursday's prayer? Uh, Thursday, we have prayer every Thursday, 7 o'clock, 
Uh, we start out in worship. We have one worship song together. We pray for the worship team, the tech team. Um, there's even uh, Kelly's doing some training or some like teaching, teaching, right? Um, a devotional, uh, I think at about, what, 630, 645-ish. Uh, if you want to come early and sit on that, you can. Uh, but we, we start uh, prayer at 7, we go to 8 o'clock, and then uh, we go from here. Um, somebody else asked a question, where do we draw the line between having someone in our life to share our struggles with or to be vulnerable with and gossip? How can I share my interpersonal issues without talking about those other people to some extent? I know we're not supposed to criticize or complain, so how can I air my grievances and ask for advice and help from others without doing that? That's a tough one. I think that it's important to uh, cover and honor people to the extent that you can. And it's good to have people in your life that are maybe outside of your circle that uh, doesn't have a relationship uh, with the, the, the struggle that you're going through or, or have a, I think the, the terminology is a, a dog in the hunt, uh, that, that it, you have somebody outside that. And if you don't have somebody out that, I would recommend counseling. Um, I, I meet with a counselor. I, I like counseling. I like going to someone who's kind of outside and an objective resource to me uh, to help me handle and navigate difficult situations. Um, it's hard. It's hard. I, I don't, I, there was another question um, that came first service that I wanted to address, and, and then we'll, we'll close our time out. I, there's lots of questions coming in now. Uh, somebody said, how good of a relationship do you have? What level of relationship do you need to have with someone before bringing to light their blind spots? At times, I fear hurting my relationship of, uh, with them because of my criticism. And I just, I re my recommendation is that whenever you're addressing blind spots in people's life, you're not criticizing them. This isn't being critical of their life or somehow condemning the way, the way that they're doing it. It's addressing it from the standpoint of love. Jesus, when he addressed the woman caught in adultery, she was thrown into the street. His first response was empathy. He cared about her. He loved her. His second response was accountability. It was go and sin no more. He didn't leave her in the place in which she's been living her life because he knew how damaging and hurtful it was for her. But I think we always have to come in with empathy and we always have to have a close enough relationship that there's trust there. We don't get to just go and pick and choose the people that we see, you know, that maybe think differently than us or act differently than us and say, hey, I got something to talk to you about. I don't think you realize this. Uh, we don't get to just lob grenades at people. It's not what God's called us to do. But if we have people in our life, and I have over the years had people in my life address things that I, I don't recognize always. In fact, in first service, I use the example of uh, in a staff meeting, you know, leading your staff is hard. Leading your staff that's family is even harder. And, and leading your son is even worse than that. <laughs> and, and I mean that in, in the most loving way possible is I've raised my son and him and I have a conversation, you know, a, a language, which isn't always the greatest language, uh, in regard, not, not like swearing language, but like in how we communicate to one another. And, 
And uh, in a staff meeting just a few weeks ago, uh, I made some comment to Jacob uh, in, in our staff meeting. And it, let's just say it was in the tone of dad, not, not staff. And another one of our staff members, uh, before we closed, said, uh, I got one last thing. Uh, she said, Ryan, I, I don't, and I'll just tell you who it was. It was Rachel. She said, I don't. I don't think how you talk to Jacob would be how you would talk to the rest of us staff. And she was absolutely right. And you know why she felt like she could tell me that? It's because I trust her. And she saw something that at the moment I didn't see, but she was 100% right. And I trust that she has my best interests in mind. And that's the kind of people that you want in your life because when those moments come, you need to be able to acknowledge that and be able to trust that they're not just coming against you or something along those lines. So you have to have people in your life, and you have to be that person to others. If, if, you don't, if people don't trust you, you should probably take a deep, hard look at why they don't trust you. And if, they, if they're like, listen, I haven't given you that place in my life you should ask the question why if you've been in relationship with them for a long time. Um, so online uh, commentary, not a question. Sometimes we feel that nobody cares or we feel that others don't want to hear our reality. Yeah, that's true. Nobody wants to be the guy or the gal that just is, is kind of vomiting what's going on in their life. Um, all the time. But you have to cultivate those kind of relationships. I, I will tell you, it's taken Kelly and I years for us to cultivate the kind of relationships where we have people in our life that, that, that just recognize it and, and are willing to call out blind spots, but also be willing to recognize when you're not okay and vice versa. So yeah, it, it can feel that way sometimes, but we have to press through that. It's too important. All right, let's, let's pray.